Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 358. Today is March 18th, 2022. I'm your host, John Pagliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Today, I want to continue on with the topic of things aren't as bad as everybody keeps trying to convince you that they are. And as it relates to today's episode, I specifically want to talk about inflation and what's really causing it. And in fact, I'm not going to use the word inflation because that word is used synonymously with higher prices. And when we talk about inflation, we're generally talking about something that's monetary policy. The Federal Reserve or a government or whoever printing money that causes the value of the money to lose its purchasing power. That's what inflation traditionally would be defined as. Now, my point here is not to argue that there isn't inflation, nor that for the inflation that there is, that the Federal Reserve is to blame for it. Neither am I trying to be an apologist for the central bankers. Oh, but by the way, if they do want to compensate me or send me money to be their spokesman, hey, talk to me. We could work out a deal. But the bottom line here is that everything that goes up in price is not as a result of monetary policy. It's therefore not exclusively the fault of the Federal Reserve or the central banks. And my big reason for bringing this up is not that I want to defend these guys or justify them. I just want to point out that because they're not the primary problem, they also can't be the primary solution. Okay? Follow along with me here. Let's look at some incidences where prices go up that have nothing to do with the devaluation of money. And these are going to be some really simple cases. I just want everybody to be able to relate to it and understand what I'm talking about. If you go out on the morning of Valentine's Day, or the day before, or even the day before that, and you buy your sweetheart a dozen roses, you're going to pay a significantly larger amount of money than if you either had bought them six weeks before or six weeks after Valentine's Day. That is not the fault of the Federal Reserve or j Example number two, if you go to Costco and get a hot dog and a Coke, it's going to cost you something under $2. I don't know what it is today because I haven't done that in a long time, but last time I looked, it was like $1.50 before tax. I'm assuming with all the Federal Reserve's money printing, it's no longer $1.50 and it's something higher than that. That we can blame on j But if you then go to Disneyland, Disney World, or to a professional sporting event, what are you going to pay for a hot dog there? Ain't going to be no $1.50. Probably going to be 15 bucks or more. I don't know, maybe $25. In any case, once again, the point is, is that the Federal Reserve is not responsible for the devaluation of the purchasing power of your money on Disney properties or when you're hanging out with the NFL or NBA or whoever. Third example, and I know a lot of you guys and gals in the audience will relate to this one. How about the fluctuation in the price of ammunition? And specifically, I'm talking about the variable, the price and availability in ammunition over the last, oh, let's say 15 to 17 years. Because over that time period, I have seen ammo, and let's let's just focus on 22, 22 long rifle. I've seen it over the last 17 years at varying times 
for as low as maybe two or three cents a round. And that's, you know, getting it on sale or getting an extremely good deal. And over that same 17-year period, I've seen it for more than $2 a round. And I'm talking for 22 long rifle. And even at those prices of, you know, being in excess of $2, it was totally sold out and not even available if you had the $2. So I ask you again, over this 17 years, was that variable in the price of ammunition, was it due in large part to anything that Jay Powell, Janet Yellen, or Ben Bernanke did over at the central bank? I say in large part because, again, yes, I'm not denying the fact that when they print money, it devalues the price of the dollar, and that causes commodities like brass and lead and other metals and things like that to go up. That would obviously have some impact on the price of ammunition, but from year to year and long periods of time in between, it would not cause 22 long rifle to fluctuate from $0.02 cents to $2, sometimes over very short periods of time. Virtually none of that can be attributed to the central bank or the Federal Reserve. So the point of this little exercise is to point out that not all price increases are due to the devaluation of money because of monetary policy. And specifically, the reason I used the ammunition example is because what's the big driving force there? Policies and regulations by the government, or other institutions for that matter. And so it's the human reaction of fear and of hoarding and of trying to get their hands on something that they think is scarce or going to be scarce in the future, or regulation of something that they want to own or control. So it's people's emotions and it's people's anticipation or reaction to government policies, policies and procedures and regulations that are either in effect now or that are feared to be in effect in the immediate future. I would submit that not only relates to ammunition, but to a lot of other factors. And those other factors may be things like people anticipating higher taxes or higher mortgage rates or whatever. Okay, so now that we establish that maybe not the only reason or maybe not even the primary reason that we have an increase in prices is not the direct fault or result of the Federal Reserve, that takes us to the next thing that we should be thinking about, which is if the Fed isn't the only or maybe not even the primary reason for rising prices, then how can the Fed get a handle and control rising prices? Well, my thought is that they can't and they won't. Unless, of course, they want to destroy the entire economy. I don't think they want to do that, and I especially don't think they want to do that in a midterm election year on such a critical election cycle that we're in right now, especially when the chairman of the Federal Reserve has been recently reappointed by the sitting president of the party that really wants to win the midterm elections. But I digress. There's a cut to the chase here. No one's talking about the Federal Reserve of raising interest rates any more than about 2%. They're talking about, well, you know, six increases this year, but that's at 25 basis points apiece. So if you start adding all those up, you're talking about getting 16 to 24 months before you actually see a 2% increase in interest rates. And when they do raise interest rates, who does it affect? Well, it's going to affect borrowers, right? If you're not borrowing money, then raising interest rates isn't directly affecting you. 
So I'm not saying it doesn't have any impact. I'm just saying that it's maybe going to be a 2% impact and it's going to affect a limited amount of the population. Now contrast that with what we're seeing with energy prices. How much has oil and gas prices gone up? And I'm not just talking over the last couple weeks or month because of Ukraine. I mean, let's go back over the last year or so. Gasoline prices, the price of oil, price of natural gas have gone up substantially. And I mean substantially. They've gone up, you know, just in the last month, what, 30 or more percent? And when you're talking about increases in energy costs, it just doesn't affect one category of people. It affects all people everywhere all over the world. And what are you starting to see right now with these really big increases that we've seen in gasoline prices? You know, all over social media, people are putting up memes and complaining about gas prices. They can't afford to drive as far. They're going to have to cut back on retail purchases or other discretionary type items. Reports have just come out this week showing that absolutely retail sales are being affected negatively and impacted more so because of these gasoline price increases than anything that had happened over the whole fear of Omicron in the last three months. So the increase in energy costs has a fast and immediate and an effective impact in lowering and slowing down economic activity and specifically on excess spending and spending on consumer discretionary products and services. And so if the Federal Reserve is worried about runaway inflation and they're trying to tamper down and slow down an economy that's expanding too fast, do you think that they really think they can slow things down by over the next 18 months to two years, increasing interest rates by 2%? Or do you think that their models and their numbers and their calculations tell them that oil at over $100 a barrel, or for that matter, even over $80 a barrel, is going to have a major impact on squelching and slowing down not only the U.S. economy, but the global economy. The people at the Federal Reserve and the central banks, they may be evil, but they're not stupid. Well, most of them anyways. I'm pointing out the obvious here, and the obvious is that the market, the market of supply and demand, when you leave it alone, or even when you mess with it and try and intervene, it still does what the market does, which is come to an equilibrium or a balance, a stasis. Whenever things get out of control, and especially when they get out of control for reasons that are not specifically related to the overprinting of money, well, then the market just regulates itself and it does it quickly. If gasoline prices are copper or the price of used cars or houses or whatever, if it gets too high, then either the demand for that product or service, either the demand declines or the supply of that product increases and both of those occurrences result in the prices either stabilizing or declining. It's been said for probably 300 years, the solution to higher prices is higher prices. And speaking of higher prices, I'm working on some charts or at least a chart that I want to put up over at my blog site at investablewealth.com. I'll probably do that tomorrow if I can get it done in time. But I'm looking at the cost of housing, and I'm talking the total cost of the house, including the mortgage over a 30-year period. And if you look at that based on the variability that we've had in housing prices and in interest rates 
and in household income over the last 30 or 40 years, you might be surprised if you look at the data. It's not as bad as people say it is. My point in this is not to look at the world through rose-colored glasses, but to also not look at the world in a gloom and doom fashion. Listen, there are always problems. There's always an issue. The future is always uncertain. That's why I always laughingly joke and say, I can't predict the future. In fact, that reminds me of something. The, the statement that came out this week, I put it on some social media sites that I'm on. The statement that came out from the Federal Reserve this week was that the Fed said that the economic outlook remains highly uncertain in the face of the war in Ukraine. Well, think about that. That is just one of the dumbest statements in the world. The outlook remains highly uncertain. Like they think they can predict the future. Like they saw the housing crisis in 2008. And I'm not picking on the Fed here. No one can predict the future. Well, I know Martin Armstrong thinks he can, but again, no one can predict the future. And by the way, I like Mr. Armstrong. The bottom line here is that right now we're in a transition and it is a little more crazier than normal because there's a lot of things with big impact that are going on. We're coming out of the world being shut down for two years because of a pandemic. We're going into a cold war and that's not something that should surprise anybody because this has been building up for at least 20 years and we're continuing to see the advancement of automation and robotics and at the same time, we're also seeing a population shift, which is incredibly different than what we've seen over the last hundred or so years. We are seeing a total breakdown in birth rates, which is a major contributor to a slowdown in growth and specifically very deflationary. I've been talking about this for, I don't know, five, six years now. That and automation have been my big themes. And I think they will remain to continue to be the main themes over the next generation or two. And a lot of the geopolitical disruptions, the things that we're seeing in Europe and with Russia and Ukraine and the things we're seeing with China, the whole new Cold War issue, that's actually very much related specifically to the decline in birth rates, but also to the advancements in automation and technology. They all play together. And I think that for people that are prepared and ready, they can take advantage of these trends and rather than be fearful and panicking at every little propagandized media headline, that we should all be looking for opportunities instead of problems. And speaking of negative media headlines, apparently the gloom and doomers are recycling the old myth about the petrodollar and has got a whole bunch of people all worked up. Well, over the weekend, I'll try and get out a podcast about why it's all complete nonsense. And I'm sure if you search in the audio archives, you can find other times when I've talked about this. If you're a long-term listener to the podcast, you know what I'm going to say already. So until next time, when we talk about petrodollars, as always, this is John Pagliano wishing you the very best returns.